So I want to introduce you to Luke Eisner. Some of you who may know, yes. Thank you, Clay. Yes, those are welcome. So, all right. It's all yours, buddy. <laughs> he said, you gave me power. Look at that. I like it. I didn't know if I had to turn this on or he could take care of it back there. Good morning. I love coming back here once a year because I see new faces, and uh, I think that's really cool. New people coming in all the time, and uh, faces that I haven't seen for a few years or since the last carnival in Fulda. It's good to see uh, Van Den and your family. So I'm really bad at uh, being consistent and sharing a story and not getting scatterbrained and bouncing all over the place. So I nailed myself down to give you five different parts. So I gave you a setup. Uh, perfection, fall, reality, and redemption, okay? So I'm going to set it up, and then we're going to go through four more parts after that. Uh, We won't have to change slides for a while in this setup. I've been a cop for almost 13 years. I work for a sheriff's department, so I wear a brown uniform, not a blue uniform, Mostly out in the country on the gravel roads and around lakes and stuff like that. And typically I don't admit what I do in public or when I'm on vacation because it changes conversation and tone. Um, If I'm watching society, uh, I see the far left and the far right and the in-between attempt to make a ten-letter word that doesn't exist. And everyone's afraid that their kids won't achieve this ten-letter word. We all feel a sense of longing for this 10-letter word and its perfection. In the setup, because I'm a millennial, I ask why. We're typically known as the why generation. I don't know what age gap it falls into, but a big chunk of you here are millennials. And we ask why. Why do we try to create perfection? Why do we try to create perfection without God? If you're in a conversation that involves trying to create perfection, it might sound something like this, and I would bet that you're often in conversations like this. If only there was a law, then people wouldn't murder. If only there was a law, then people wouldn't be racist. If only there was a law, then people wouldn't steal. And if we make a law and remove a certain item from the public, then we won't get harmed. Or maybe you look at a family and you go, they live below the poverty line, and if if they had more money, then they wouldn't have any problems. And you look at the rich family and you think, well, they're too rich, and they gave their kids everything. And now they have problems, and their kids are sinful too. And through those conversations, uh, we try to create perfection by giving money, by taking money away, and by creating laws. Society... And churches are chasing after something that seemingly doesn't exist. It's a ten-letter word called perfection. So we need to ask why. Why isn't it perfect? Why can't I achieve perfection? And when I say these things, don't think that perfection is bad. Okay, Perfection is good. It's good to want to strive to be holy and good. But perfection is one step out of grasp. You can't have it. So why do bad things happen? There's an answer to why bad things happen. But before we answer that question, we need to point out a few things. It's almost always a surprise when someone does something bad. 
People always want to know why someone would rather... Uh, let me skip that. My coworkers across the country respond to calls. All across the U.S., all across the world, someone's responding to a call, a need for help. And what happens is we show up and something bad happened. And I'm going to skip the 50 stories I could share of all the bad things that happened because you already know them. Um, but what I hear after that sad story, because they are sad and they affect people, is what has this country come to? What's wrong with people nowadays? Or who would do something like this? Or I can't believe people nowadays. Have you ever heard somebody say one of those? Maybe posted online or social media or you've been in a conversation where somebody said those things. I've found myself saying those things. These kids these days, they're different than when I went to school. I say that with a little bit of humor. We've had youth group for around eight years in our home and in, in Fulda and Heron Lake Okabina, and it's, uh, it's fun and I love it. But you'd be kidding yourself if the way your kids are growing up is the same as the way you grew up. It's different. Every generation, it's different. It's different for them, and they experience things in a different way. So have a little bit of grace and patience and understanding for them. And Lencho, are you in here, buddy? Give this guy some patience. He's going to do a great job with your sons and daughters. Work with him and walk with him, but be patient. He's got a tough road ahead of him. Hallelujah, Brian says. The answer to why someone would do something sinful is sinful human nature. And we need to define sin. Sin is defined in two ways that I see it. Uh, one, in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it's a violation of God's law. It's really simple. The, the verse in whole says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices laws, lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So if you put them together, sin is breaking the law. And the second definition for sin uh, is in Deuteronomy 9, 7, which would be rebellion against the Lord rebellion against God's way, rebellion against the way he's put it together. That's the way it is. There's sin. Everybody sins, and that's the problem. So let's jump into perfection. Because before sin, there was perfection. Can you guys read that from there? Um, if you want to open your Bible, you can. If you've got an app, open it up. If you want to tap on verses and highlight them in your phone, do that. I put all the ones I'm going to talk about on the screen uh, for you to see if you don't have a Bible or a Bible app. Um, because I'm going to be all over the place in Genesis chapters 1 through 3 and a few other places. There's no way that I could just give you, like, here's the key text for today, and it's going to be one line. I'm not as good as Scott or Friday, so they could just... Expand upon a piece of scripture for hours, if not days. Uh, years or years. So, two verses, very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Skip to verse 2, the second half, 2b. Uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God spends the next six days creating everything. And while creating, he says the following. Seven times he says this in different variations. 
he creates. And in verse 4, he says, God saw that the light was good. And then he continues for the next five, saying, and God saw that it was good. 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 And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Everything was good. All that he had created was good. And if God says it's good, as far as I'm concerned, it's perfect. There was perfection. If you like to argue, you're probably thinking, well, what about Satan? If God created everything, didn't he create Satan as well? And I'd say yes. God created the angels, but there's a time delay between day six when God had created everything and when Satan shows up in the garden, there's a time gap. We don't know how long that time gap was, but everything was perfect. And Satan had not been cast from the heavens and put here. Uh, Everything was perfect. I'm going to give you a couple names for Satan because I'll refer to him as a few different things. And the reason I'll give you a few names for this is I was, I was talking to a friend about Christianity and he was talking about the Holy Spirit and his culture and how they experience the Spirit. And I referred to Satan, the devil, uh, the ruler of this world. I referred to it in a few different ways. And he goes, do you have multiple devils or are you talking about the same person? And I was like, yeah, that's a really good question. I I should really clarify that. And we're talking about the same person. Uh, Over 30 times, Satan's referred throughout the Bible in different contexts or descriptions. I'll give you a few. The devil, the prince of darkness, the ruler of demons, enemy, liar, murderer, ruler of the world, ruler of the authority of the air, a roaring lion, and a deceiver. Um, There was a time of perfection prior to Satan's casting from heaven. For a brief period of time, that happened. And I'm I'm going to attempt to describe what perfection is. So I'm going to share a few stories. And honestly, over the last seven days that I've been throwing this together, a half hour here and an hour there, uh, perfection was the most difficult thing to describe because we're so tainted with imperfection. And so I, I came up with this next picture. Uh, This is perfection. It might not be perfection to you, but it's perfection to me. That's my daughter, Nora. Uh, She's perfect. Um, We're at the hospital. This is my third, my third kid. And I got to catch my second kid. So I asked the doctor if I could catch my third kid. And Nora came out face up. Did I get that right? Or down. It was the wrong way. <laughs> but it was face first. You just need to know it was the wrong way so it, it, they don't flow that well. Uh, and so she was like stuck for a little while. And I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to catch my kid and deliver my kid. And the doctor's confused because you can kind of see ahead. And, but something just isn't right here. And like, oh, there's a nose. Face up. Uh, and so Nora ends up coming out, and I, I grab her, and I, I hold her, and I have her in my hands. And my first thought wasn't, you're this bruised, beat-up kid. It was that you're perfect. And I didn't expect that. And it's not because she's a daughter, but it's, it's probably the one time in life that I felt perfection. Does that make sense? 
that you can you can look past skin color. You can look past uh, weight. You can look past someone's past, and you can see perfection. That's the best descriptor I can give. Now, to give some worse descriptors, I'd say it looks like standing at the base of a tree and seeing a full canopy of perfect leaves without spot or blemish. It looks like the fruit of a tree that would be so glorious it would glow in sunlight. It feels like loving like you've never been hurt. It feels like giving your last dollar and not fearing where the next one will come from. Never having felt sadness during goodbyes because you've never felt loss. Never having locked your door to your house because no one's ever deprived you of your property or taken advantage of your body. Looking at your spouse and seeing nothing but radiant love. It looks like walking with God and his creation and being content with him. That's the best I can describe perfection. Seeing no fault in someone else. And it's almost impossible to do that because we're so broken. Every scenario I thought of brought brokenness in some way, shape, or form. We're tainted by sin, tainted by imperfection, tainted by our experiences and the way people have treated us and the way we've treated others. But there once was perfection. There was perfection in the garden with Adam and Eve. Perfection with his creation. Perfection with how he designed everything to work together. And we want that so bad. And it's good to want that. The next text in Genesis where I see perfection is Genesis 2.25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Now cinnamon, cinnamons, synonyms for shame would include humiliation, guilt, and embarrassment. Humiliation, guilt, and embarrassment. They were together and there was no past hurts. Just a joy to be in each other's presence. They never hurt each other, never went to bed angry, never woke up tired, and never had to forgive the other person. They weren't embarrassed to show them to other people. They weren't embarrassed to introduce each other to new friends. They didn't have to put on a face or an act to meet new people. There is no shame. Now, the first time I read this, I... Not the first. I've read this dozens of times. Um, But I I almost missed some context. They were naked and felt no shame. If I just take they were naked and felt no shame and applied that to a teenager, then it would be telling a teenager that it would be okay to be naked and feel no shame. That would be incorrect. It would not be accurate. In the context here, they were married. They were in a relationship with each other naked, and felt no shame for each other. No shame for their own body. 
in the context of marriage, they could stand before each other naked and feel no shame, no humiliation, guilt, or embarrassment, no shame about their own body or their spouse's body, no past action that would hurt one another, just a joy for each other. The antithetical approach to this passage in the world today, uh, antithetical would be like directly opposite or opposing to what it says, would be that you are who you are and you shouldn't have any shame. You be you and have sex with whomever you'd like, and it won't affect you now or later. You enjoy what the body was made for, and there will be no consequences. There's no physical or emotional consequences to sex or pornography. There's no shame to any of it. That's a lie. It's all a lie. It's antithetical to what he says in the beginning. That there is perfection. And the perfection was not that we could all hang out together and feel no shame for our bodies. The perfection was within marriage that those two could do this and feel no shame. When you step outside of that, you can no longer apply that there should be no shame. You can beat yourself up over and over and over again and, and let yourself be used or give yourself away and, and dull your senses. But it's not God's intent for you. It's not God's intent for marriage. It's not God's intent for dating or relationships. It's not the way he designed perfection. You won't enjoy it as much. You should never be surprised when the world tries to when the world tries to live a life contrary to his design, we try to take something like sex, something that's beautiful. Uh, when the two become one flesh, that means sex, uh, that they were joined in union together. It's uh, having relationship, knowing each other, loving each other well, having a relationship with Christ, adding that in, and then adding onto the top of that, this union of becoming one, of intimacy. The world will try to take that and destroy it and say that, ah, it's, it's just a feeling, it's just an act. Don't believe that. It's a lie. And teach it to your kids and teach it to your grandkids. It has a place and it's good. Use it in the right place. And it's wonderful. Use it outside of that and there's shame and hurt. When I say this, I, I need to clarify that it's not our job to shame people as a church. There's a difference between the feeling of shame and the action of shaming. There are two different things. Shame comes uh, from a conscious violation of God's law or being outside of what he created. And they're sharing truth with people in patience and love and kindness together patience, love, and kindness. It's kind to share truth. But it needs to be patient and loving. And that's probably the hardest thing to do. I, no one's perfected that. Uh, there needs to be a lot of forgiveness and grace for, for Lencho as he steps into that role and Pastor Jose and Pastor Scott. Uh, please be patient with them. Be patient with each other. There was perfection in marriage. There was perfection and no shame there. Jump to Genesis 2.15. Do I have that on a slide? All right. Now this one's going to be weird. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To be work it and take care of it. Depends on if you're ESV or NIV. NIV says to work it and take care of it. 
And I like that better. Um, Put them in the garden to work it and take care of it. This was before sin. That means to work and to take care of is perfection. Anybody here like to complain about work? Come on. Who here has complained about work? Can I get everybody's hands, please? Working and taking care of it was part of perfection. So, uh, whether you like them or not, I came across the CDC stat uh, from 2010. So, 12 years ago, almost 12% of emerging adults, 18 to 25-year-olds, were depressed. And about 23% were unemployed. The 2010 part is important because the iPhone came out in 2009. uh, Therefore, we cannot blame depression on phones. And social media. I don't even think you could post a picture on Facebook at that point. Uh, Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter, I don't believe existed at that point. Significantly more unemployed than employed emerging adults were classified with depression. And in the final model, the odds of depression were about three times higher for unemployed than employed emerging adults. I don't know about you, but the status of mental health hasn't gotten a whole lot better recently. That was 10 years ago. Now, I'm not blaming depression on not working. Please don't correlate those two things together. But it is important that you have a purpose. It is important that you work. It is important that you take care of things. And whenever I'm feeling the the poor me's or the woe me's at work, this is the verse that I come back to. When I wake up in the morning and I don't want to go to work that day, I go, you were made to work it and take care of it. So go do it. And it might be your marriage, it might be your kids, it might be your job. Work it and take care of it. And there's a difference there. I'm going off script for a little while here. But if if you have a dog, okay, you got, we'll use a yellow lab, okay. Uh, This is probably a bad example because you could put a yellow lab in the trunk of your car, drive to the cities, open the trunk, and it would be like, I love you. (laughs) Just touch, pet me, right? It's a bad example. Um. But we'll stick with the dog. You can, uh, you can feed the dog, put it back in its kennel, and spend no time with it. Will you have a good relationship with the dog? Just feed it, put it away, and leave it. Is that a good relationship? If you feed your kids, walk away, is it a good relationship? No. Uh, you have to take care of it. You've got to work it and take care of it. There's two parts to it. We're made to do that. Now, when I say that, uh, there's a flip side to this. You could hear this and go, well, I'm supposed to go to work. I'm supposed to get in my truck and drive for the rest of my life and never see my family. You can work it so hard that you don't take care of what's in front of you. You got to do both. Work and take care of. Go to work, come home, take care of your family. Take care of your kids. Take care of your homework if you're a teenager here. Do the work that's required of you so that you can have wisdom and knowledge and grow up in this world. Perfection would be enjoying our work because it would yield fruit that would last. Fruit that others wouldn't destroy. It would be magnificent to show up to work, respond to a call, fix it, and it would stay fixed. It would be glorious. Construction workers. What if you built a house and it never rotted? Never had to change your siding? But maybe that's tainted too, and I can't even imagine perfection at that point. Maybe perfection in the garden was Hawaii, 80 degrees, 
not too humid, not too dry, but no weeds. Do we spray weeds every year? Then, like 99% of Nobles County, we spray it every year. They all come back without fail. Uh, weeds are a part of sin, imperfection. All right, part two. So now you know there was perfection at one point. Part two is the fall. And I'm sticking with the meat and potatoes basics here because I, I, I believe that these are foundations. And if we don't understand these foundations, we don't understand how we're supposed to walk through life with an appropriate view. Uh, Grant allowed me to share this story with you, and he's not in here, which is great, so I can... He's never going to watch this. Uh, he's with Rachel, and they're at the zoo in Omaha, and I'm, I'm working, okay? And Grant gets stung by... It was, that's where it was, right? He gets stung by a wasp. <laughs> he's tearing up a little bit, and he's sad, and he goes, uh, how, do, how do you say it? I didn't even do anything to it. And he's teared up and his arm hurts. He's like, I got stung by a wasp, but I didn't even do anything. It's, it's a result of the fall. He didn't do anything to the wasp. He got stung anyways. You can be a Christian. You can believe in Jesus as your Savior. But that doesn't mean that the other car is going to see you when you go through the intersection. But it doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. We live in a sinful world where things are going to fall apart and people will do sinful things. And we can put as much things in front of that to prevent it as we can. But ultimately, we live in a sinful world in need of a Savior. That's why we strive for perfection. It's why we want it. It's why we need it. As you get older, your body starts to fall apart. And I believe it's at the age of 30 that that starts to happen. And I'm told it only gets worse. Joints start to hurt, you work out, and you're like, my muscles aren't sore. It's like the joints and the sinews and the things that hold things together that just are in pain. I'm going to zip through the fall here. I'm going to click to the next slide. We're just going to read Genesis 3, 1 through 4. I think it's like 1 through 12. The serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did you actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said, So she replied correctly. Here's the rule. And the serpent steps in and he says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can you go to the next slide? Go back to the original manuscript when you screw up, right? The serpent says, you will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
That's the fall. That's when sin entered the world for the first time and their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened to see what shame was. Their eyes were opened to see all the things that God could see uh, that we couldn't. That's when it fell apart. That's why we are where we are today. That's why we suffer in whatever it is. It's why I can't see my wife as perfect and she can't see me as perfect. It's why we always want more. It's why we covet our neighbor's things. Like we want them. You got a new boat? I want a new boat. You got a new house? I want a new house. Uh, Biblically, I think it said your neighbor's donkey. <laughs> well, if you got a nice horse, then maybe I need a nicer horse. Um, but it's still applicable today. It's, it's a base root. It's a meat and potatoes of, of sin. We're in it. Please don't take out of this that it's her fault. Okay? We are under Adam's sin. Adam was given the rule to follow and he didn't lead well in that and so she was tempted and she took of it and ate of it but what you also see is that he was with her when that happened and he took of it and he ate of it and then there was a consequence for that fall what you should see uh i'm going to bounce back to genesis 2 verse 28 that god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Uh, God saw both Adam and Eve equally. He saw them both as loved. Created complementary to each other. To work together. Not one without the other. There's a series of consequences that came from the fall. And these consequences are what we now know as reality. But we are so distracted that we often forget why it is the way it is. And we fall into Satan's distractionary trap. And to blame the other side. And we start a fight and divide as people instead of pulling together. And that's where we get to the reality of where we're at. How long does Scott usually go? Perfect. Reality. It, we're getting close. The only consistency I see in the human condition is that all humans are infected by sin and suffer a consequence. As a cop, the only consistency I see in the human condition is that all humans are infected by sin and suffer as a consequence from it. It doesn't matter what house I go to. It doesn't matter what acreage I go to, what farm I go to, or who I talk to. The problem's the same. Rich, poor, middle class, grew up with two parents, grew up with one parent. It doesn't matter. They're all infected. The world is running to explain where all this poor behavior comes from, but it refuses to recognize God. It refuses to recognize that we were once a perfect human race of two until we rebelled against God and chose to disobey his command. Uh, 
Now we live in the reality of rebellion against God. Tough day of parenting? Sin. Tough day at work? Sin. Somebody steals something? Sin. And the reality is that we can't cancel sin. And we can't cancel God either. When I see sin, when I feel sin, when sin hurts me, and when sin hurts others, I think sin is evidence of the Bible. Sin is evidence of truth. Sin is evidence of all of this. Sin is evidence. It's evidence of Genesis and history. The end times began when Jesus defeated death on Calvary Hill by being crucified. Crucified means he died a horrible death as an innocent man. He rose from the dead three days later, appearing to over 500 eyewitnesses. Since that happened, we have been in the end times. I'm not saying we are at the end of the end times. I wouldn't say that. Because Jesus himself in Matthew 24 uh, says that no one will know the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We're in the gap. And the gap is best described in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Do you have that one? It's my fault. It's not her fault. Yes, you do. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. This is basically the list that I mentioned in the beginning of the sermon. People are surprised when they see these things happen. Reality surprises us. I can't believe someone would slander my name. I can't believe how ungrateful that little brat was. I told him to do it right to his face, and you're telling me he didn't do it? Did you hear the words that came out of that man's mouth? How rash, how conceited. They're out of control. Did you see that? Look at how he chose money over family, money over people, money over love. Who would murder someone? How does this happen? Why are we surprised when these things happen? Christians, we should expect this. If your worldview is a view of God and the word he's given us, we should expect this. We should expect sin. The sin we see is evidence of our rebellion towards God. We should not be surprised. And I will not rely on one side or the other side or the middle. We have to rely on God, rely on his word, and trust in him and share his word with others. The entire Old Testament is filled with laws. More laws and more laws. And those more laws just made people less and less just because they couldn't follow them all. And you'd think in all of history that we'd learn that you can add another law. I'm not saying laws are bad. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying laws are bad. We just keep adding laws on, thinking it's going to fix the heart. But laws don't fix the heart.
We need redemption through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ works on the heart, fixes the heart. He's the fix we need. Do you go to four? This is the last part. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. Now if we break that down quickly, it says, Christ has indeed been raised. From what? From the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Well, that sounds confusing. If I break it down, it's Jesus had raised three people from the dead uh, prior to this happening, demonstrating his divine power. But they were not raised as imperishable. They would eventually die again. Jesus was different. He was the first fruits, the first one. He not only predicted his death, he also predicted his resurrection. Nothing else, nobody else in history of humankind has accomplished this. It's kind of a big deal. I believe in CPR. I believe in the power of prayer to bring people back to life and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and evil spirits. But there's still a problem. We can bring somebody back to life, but they, again, are not raised as imperishable. They need Christ to be raised as imperishable, to do a work that only he could do. We desperately need that. I got time to fit this in. Uh, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For in Adam all die. We do a really good job in America of sheltering each other from death. We hide it. We make it look pretty. We make it clean. We shelter people from it. Uh, we shelter it in movies. We shelter it in TV. And it's only getting worse. The reality of life and death here is clean. If I give an example, the movie Turner and Hooch. Has anybody ever seen that? I hate to give movie examples because I'm getting old. But uh, <laughs> the young kids don't get it. So in Turner and Hooch, uh, his friend who lives on the pier, old man, kind of dirty, smells like fish, he gets murdered and he dies on the pier. That scene is like 10 minutes long. His friend dies and they sit in that like, they sit in the death and the pain and the agony and the suffering of like, this was wrong even though he's a man who lived on a pier without friends. It's wrong and it's not okay. That movie makes you sit in it for a long time. Lion King, Right? When his dad dies, like they sit in that for a long time and make you experience it. But if you watch Jurassic Park, if you watch a movie now, uh, a Chris Pratt movie maybe, I like Jurassic Park movies, but they don't dwell on death. People die, you move fast. People die, we don't care. People die, you crack a joke. You watch a Marvel movie, people die all the time. Crack a joke, move on. Not a big deal. Crushed a car, somebody died. Nobody cares. That's the reality of what it is right now. We just move on. And so we have kids, helping Lencho out here, we have kids who have a little bit less empathy because what they consume is death, move on. Death, move on. Death, crack a joke. Death, skip past. 
death, open my phone. Hard thing happens in life, go to my phone. Go to a different distractionary device. Too consumed. So they can't, um, they can't process things because they don't have time to process. When you grew up, if you're older than me, when you grew up, or Ben's age, you grew up, you had time to process things. You had time to go for a walk in the grove uh, with a sword and cut down weeds. You had time to go bale hay. You had time to go do things where you weren't distracted by something else to process what had happened. It's really important that we process death. Rant over. I'll finish with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Because I think that sums up this whole series really well. Is that on there? Yep. Go to the first part of that. Because it doesn't all fit on one slide. Perfect. As for you, just roll with me as I read this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. You aren't Adam and you aren't Eve. You didn't commit the first sin. But we are sinners just like them in need of a Savior. God understood our need and gave us his son Jesus to be our final sacrifice. There's no amount of works you can do to earn your spot in eternity with Jesus. You just need faith in Jesus. We want perfection. We cannot attain it here. But what we can do is follow Jesus and it's the word I'm looking for here. We can follow Jesus. We can just use your mouth. We become like him, make him known. Right? Sanctification. That's the word I wanted. We can follow Jesus and go through a process called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more holy. One of the first times I came in here, I had a conversation with Pastor Scott, and I dropped the F-bomb a few times. Just casual. Uh, And I'm not proud of that. But I didn't think about it when I did it back then. And uh, it was Lucas and Eric Garcia Silva uh, who pointed it out to me many years later. that uh, They were surprised that I did that when I did that. And I said, I don't remember doing that. I'm so sorry. In that process of sanctification, we learn about our sins. We learn about who we are and who we're becoming. Be patient with people. Love them well and teach them the word. 
And for you, learn the word well yourself. If you have questions about what I'm preaching today or about sin or the fall of man or perfection or Adam and Eve or how this happened this way or that way, grab somebody here and ask questions. It's okay to ask those questions. I don't expect you to know the answers to those things. We're human. We all need to learn the same things. Um, Sanctification is a wonderful process that involves lots of time and patience and love and truth and forgiveness. And as a church, as a body of people, we walk through that process of sanctification together, never becoming perfect. I don't think that's possible. If you could become perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. We need Jesus. So as a church, uh, I ask you guys to walk together in that, to walk together with Lancho, walk together with his youth, walk together with your sons and daughters together in that. Lancho probably needs you to teach your sons and daughters more than he needs a job. But if you do it with him, great things will happen. And your children will come to know Jesus and come to know these truths. And it will affect their lives and affect your family in wonderful ways through Jesus. Because of the things that he did. Let's pray together. And then uh, I believe we have a worship song that we'd like to close with. So invite the worship team on up here while I pray. God, you are the author of perfection. You are the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, creator of the creatures, creator of the human race, God. I thank you for all the different people uh, that are here, the people that we meet and the people in our lives. I thank you for the differences between us, the complementarism between uh, man and woman. Lord, let us understand just a little bit deeper that we are sinful to our core, that we can't fully grasp perfection, God. But we do ask that you would redeem us through your son, Jesus Christ, that we could walk with him uh, so that we can have a relationship with you and know you better, God. Lord, give us faith in you and the things that you've done. God, walk with this church. Walk with Lancho and Jose and uh, Scott. And God, bless Friday and Karen uh, on the other side of the world right now as they're Probably sleeping. I let them sleep well. Let their kids get good sleep, Lord. Bless them and bless their work. God, I ask that you would bless each person here, that you would move in each person here, that your Holy Spirit would guide each person here. Lord, I ask for a, just a wonderful time in worship with you so we can be a little bit closer with you, that we could honor you and love you in, in word and in song. Amen.